0: Our secretary Linda thought it'd be nice to have my daughter read the scriptures before I speak, so that was kind of her. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming. Uh, Pastor Ken is in Wisconsin preaching at a uh, camp. He's He likes doing that. He hasn't done a great deal of it while he's been here these five years, but it's a real strong and good ministry for him. and so. Uh, I'm filling in for him. I want to thank those who participated this morning, the worship team and Melanie leading it and uh, Christy in the announcements. I love Christy, she does a great job. I'm gonna make one little wee correction to what she said. In case you thought it was just baptism for children, it's not. There's uh, others being baptized, including a young man. And so if you want to talk to pastor about being baptized, uh, that's certainly appropriate. It's not limited to children. So thank you. This morning, I want to share with you a message that's been percolating in my mind, I think because of the Holy Spirit's work in me. And and it's as I've read and contemplated the scriptures, um, this is what has uh, come forward for me. And as I say, it's been kind of on my mind the last several months because God's working on me in this area. You'll figure that out later. First, uh, I remember David's prayer in Psalm 1914, and that's my prayer this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So I said as I've grown older, uh, the Lord continues to work on me as He does on all of us because we're in process. He's trying to make us more like Jesus. He does that through the power of His Word, which is one of the best reasons we need to stay in the Word, reading it daily if possible, and it should be possible, and also the sanctifying presence of the Spirit who lives in us. And that's true for all of us. I want to address one of the areas in which the Lord has been talking to me. It occurs to me that virtually all of life's hardships and difficulties are related to one of four major areas of life—spiritual issues, financial issues, health issues, and relationship issues. Now, obviously, each of these can be further divided into subcategories, and often they are interrelated. Spiritual issues would probably be part of all of them. But this morning, I want to talk to you specifically about the area of relationships. I've come to understand, I suspect you have too, that relationships really are uh, the most important things in life. There's an old saying that goes, love people and use things. Too often, we see people loving things and using people. And that's certainly not the way it ought to be. People are eternal, I'm sure you've thought about that. People are eternal. They're going to spend eternity somewhere, and therefore they're valuable. They are more important than anything. Everything else is just stuff. It's fine to have nice homes and cars, nice clothes, etc. There isn't anything wrong with having some money saved for a rainy day. There isn't anything wrong with or bad with having hobbies, going to travel, to go camping and fishing and hiking, to be involved in sports, especially golf. (laughs) That gets a chuckle because people know me. Unless they become idols, of course. But these are all just temporary. They're all really just stuff. Relationships are what ultimately matters the most. And it's true that when relationships are healthy and strong, there's really nothing better in life. I sometimes tell young people who are looking to get married, there's really probably nothing in this life, as far as a human relationship, that's better than a good marriage and there's often nothing more painful when it's not a good marriage. Sadly, problems and difficulties can and do exist in every type of relationship. That's because all of us, every one of us is infected with sin nature. That nature just automatically causes us to think more about ourselves than we do about others, our own hurts, our own circumstances, our own feelings, therefore we tend to think less about others who have those same kinds of things. The Bible has a lot to say about healthy relationships. This morning I would like to review—and that's all it can be—is a review of six areas of relationship the Bible speaks to. The first one I'll probably spend the most time on, so don't worry too much. They won't all take this long. The first one is our relationship with God. That's the most important one of all. I refer to uh, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Jesus is in Jerusalem and some of the disciples, the Pharisees, I mean, are frequently, they become frustrated with Him. they haven't believed in Him, of course, and they're trying to trick Him and trap Him and get Him to do something or say something which will give them cause to arrest Him, to actually to kill Him, which of course in God's time they actually did. But in, in His lifetime, they often were confronting Him. And at one occasion, as recorded in Matthew chapter 22, one of the Pharisees, uh, an expert in the law, meaning the Mosaic law said to Jesus, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And that would have pleased them because they believed that. And then Jesus added, And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the Bible does teach that if we're going to get relationships right, we must start with loving God above everyone and everything else, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That verse troubled me for a long time. I've been in the church all my life. I was raised in a Christian home. I accepted Jesus when I was a boy. This verse always troubled me, thinking, how can I do that? How can I love Him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind? I don't see Him. And while He's part of my life, I I have a great family. And when I was a young man, I married a great lady. Still married to her. She's still a great lady. Gave me children and grandchildren whom I love like you do. I love my family dearly. How do I love God more than my family? That, that's a hard thing, is it not? It's a good question. And I'm going to suggest the answer that I've come to, and I'm going to commend it to you. If you have difficulty contending with that command, Let me suggest this. Get to know God better. Get to know Him better. Here's why. Before I tell you why, that will only happen if you tend to it intentionally over a long period of time. Isn't that all All good relationships work and develop? You attend to it over time. And as you do, you get to know people better and better, and they get to know you. And when those are clicking, that's the greatest way to have relationship. When you do that with God, you'll find it much easier to love Him above all others. Why? Here's why. Because He alone is the perfect one. He alone is without fault or blemish. He alone is holy and righteous and just and awesome beyond our understanding. While His holiness and power can frighten us, and to some extent it should, we also have to know Him for His other wonderful attributes. Here are some of those. God loves you far beyond what anyone else does. He is merciful and forgiving and faithful and kind and generous and compassionate and understanding. He knows us inside out, and we should know Him. And when you learn these things about Him, when you know God well, you can't help but love Him. And you ultimately can love Him above all else and everyone else because, He alone, He alone is the only one who will give you all that you really desire deep in your heart and soul. In light of that, since we are not perfected yet, since we do sin, since we do have errors, since we have flaws, since we can rob each other the wrong way sometimes, when you do wrong and when you're conscious of it by the Spirit's power, run to God. Don't run away from Him. Don't hide. Don't pretend it did not exist. Go to Him. Tell Him how you sinned. Ad- admit to it. Secret. He already knows it. He knew it before you did it, that you were going to do it. So there's no use hiding. Be open with Him. That's what a good relationship's about, be open with Him. When I offend my wife, sometimes I do. Hopefully not often, as much as I used to but. you know, in a moment, maybe I respond quickly or harshly or not with the kind of kindness. I, I'll say, look Cheryl, forgive me for that. And of course she does. It's how you work with God. That's how you have relationship. He loves He knows you more deeply than you know yourself. He's ready and anxious, to show you His mercy and forgiveness and grace, because that's who He is. He loves you more than you know. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is also our great high priest. And He intercedes with us at the Father's throne. So the Bible says, love God more than anything and any other. So, the natural questions arise. How do I get to know God? Here's a few suggestions. Read and meditate on the scriptures every day. I love Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So, when you read the scriptures, pray. And when you pray, start with thanksgiving and start with praising God for who he is. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise. Thank him, praise him. Start your prayers that way before you go on to all your wants and needs. Number 2. Be active in a good church where you hear where you will hear sound preaching. Bethel's a good church. There are other good churches in Jackson and everywhere. But be part of a good church. And remember, no church is perfect. None because people are imperfect. That includes us, all of us. We're imperfect. But we pursue God together, and church is God's idea. It's His plan for reaching the world. It's it's His plan for growing His saints. So don't neglect assembling together. That's one of God's commands. Here's number three. Read some good books. I'll commend two of the old classics to you. One is J.I. Packer's Knowing God. It's old, but it's good. Nothing's A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. These books have been around a long time, but if you read them, they'll help you. Number four, commit yourself fully to God, and He'll further reveal yourself to Him. I've learned in these latter years, in the mornings, when I get up and start thinking and praying, I've begun to develop the habit of saying, God, I'm yours. I give myself to you today. I'm not doing that to boast, that's not a boast. That's how God's teaching me to relate to him. I commend it to you. Daily, just give yourself to God, say, God, use me today. I've already mentioned this, but number five, confess your sins quickly and repent. Uh, Back a number of years ago, there was a old saying in the evangelical church, keep a short list of the things that are are, uh, not confessed. You know, confess quickly, as soon as you know it, just confess, repent, he loves you. And then the relationship is immediately restored. When you sin, you don't lose your salvation, but you, you create a little rift like you do with other people. If you sin against them, there's a little tension there. Get it right, he, and that'll, that'll make it right. Walk in the light of his word, number six, and your life, and you'll get to know him better. If you, if you disobey His word, you're not going to learn much. If you walk in His word, you'll grow. Finally, number seven, participate in small groups with others who are living for God. The church is part of that. Our assemblies on Sundays, but that's, we're a bigger group. Find a group of small, a smaller group of people and do life together. Do your Christian life together. These are some of the best practical ways I know to get to know God. And I'll repeat, I'll tell you what I've learned from a lifetime of experience. Knowing God is a lifetime endeavor. Sometimes it's challenging, but it's always rewarding. So again, I say, love God first. Second relationship I'll talk about more briefly, I assure you, is relationship with family. Relationship with family. The Bible speaks to husbands and wives and to children and and parents very specifically in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through uh, 6-4. And in those verses you'll read, it says, Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loves the church, giving Himself himself for her well-being, Christ for the church. That's how we're supposed to love our wives. It says wives are to respect and submit to their husbands, honor them, which, by the way, quite obviously becomes much easier for a wife to do when her husband is loving them the way Christ loved the church. When those two things work together well, they're beautifully, they're countercultural today. It's almost, in our culture, uh, shameful to even talk like that. But we believe the Bible. We believe God made man and, and woman. He made them to be Together, one man, one wife is in a marriage, and He knows how it works because He created us. If you do what God says, life works better. Children are to obey their parents. Obviously, that runs against the grain because we are sinful by nature. Parents and especially fathers are told this are not to exasperate their children, meaning by being too demanding, too harsh, that can can hurt relationships. You know it and I know it. You've probably seen it and I have. So on both ways, there are things to do. There's more to say, but we won't. But when these admonitions to husbands and wives, children, parents are obeyed, life is more harmonious and peaceful. Obviously, I think, it should be obvious, it is to me, None of us fully fulfills these expectations at all times. So again, how are we going to do that well? Well, you can start by not being proud and arrogant, be humble and entreatable, ready to be entreated, ready to confess and admit when you've done wrong. That'll go a long way. A soft answer turns away wrath, a humble spirit Will heal a broken relationship. Two, be filled with Holy Spirit. Ask God to empower you by His Spirit to be the person He wants you to be. And of course, there are many books and seminars on uh, how to have good family life, including the grandparenting, the grandparenting class. Easy for you to say, the grandparenting class for others. Of course. These kind of relationships, a loving relationship and family, extends to grandparents, aunts, and uncles, cousins, all your family. In general, be kind and gentle, loving and forgiving with your family members, and your relationships will be much better. The third area that I'd point to that the scriptures talk about is within the church family. It has a lot to say about that. There is much in the New Testament, especially in Paul's epistles, about how believers are to get along with one another in the church. It is readily apparent as we read the book of Acts and the epistles that believers weren't perfect then, just as they aren't perfect now. They had issues, they had troubles, they had faults, they had sins. Problems of all kinds are addressed in the epistles related to the churches. To which they're writing. Churches had people, people are imperfect, people have problems. When you see problems in church, don't get shocked and run away. Understand that people are in process. Understand that God's working on people. Understand none of us are complete yet. Hang in there. Be patient. God is at work. If you throw it up, you'll take some of the problem. If you throw it up and leave, you'll take some of the problem with you. That's how that works. Most problems in churches arose due to differing understanding of what was prop- proper, as in the early tensions of whether Christians had to obey the law of Moses, and even more often because of the sins, foibles, faults, flaws, idiosyncrasies, things about person's personality that just don't quite click with you. Everybody has a few bristles, and if you rub against the other person the wrong way, it can create difficulty. Let's be honest; that's that's human life. It exists, and in church, it's something we are over and over again instructed to be aware of and to work against. So here's what the epistles say about that. There's a whole list of one another's in the New Testament. One another's. Look it up. Google it or look it in some resource. The one another's in the letters of John and Peter and Paul. Foremost among them, this is talking about church relations, are things like these. Love one another. Be of the same mind. Strive to maintain unity. Forgive one another. As Christ has forgiven us, confess your sins to one another, especially if you've sinned against someone, and absolutely so. Pray for one another, et cetera, et cetera. The list is long, and these are just some of them. We fulfill those admonitions when when we take them seriously. Don't think too highly of ourselves, but willingly put others' interests ahead of our own. All of that requires the presence and power of the Holy Spirit for those are not natural to the old nature. None of them are. Let me say a couple things on a side here. One is this. For the last number of years here at Bethel, the Lord has granted us a very strong spirit of unity among our leaders. And it's something to be guarded and to be um, cherished. That doesn't mean that all the elders are yes men, or that we don't think for ourselves, that we, or that we don't sometimes disagree about things. It doesn't mean that. But we strive to maintain unity of spirit, and we want to do that with everyone. Not everybody will like us. Not everybody will like me. Probably not everybody will like you. But that's life. You can still love people. In our history here, back about 50 years ago, there was a very significant, uh, split of the church. It was very harmful to the witness of Jesus Christ in this community. It was very harmful to this church, something like 50 years ago now. It's always something to be on guard about. So I, I appeal to you and you're doing it. I, I'm not addressing what I can see as an existing problem in our church. I'm just saying that strive to obey these commands of the one anothers, live in the spirit and do these things. God will bless our church for it. The fourth area of relationships I'd point to is relationships in the workplace. The the Bible does speak to that. If you go back to Ephesians chapter six, verses five through nine, Paul writes about slaves and masters in that culture, but the principles he uh, talks about in that, those verses apply equally to contemporary workplaces with bosses and employees, with owners and the people who work for them. It says this, slaves, obey your earthly masters. That can also imply to employees, obey your bosses. Do that not only to win their favor, but do it like slaves to Christ, doing what you do as though you're serving Him. Serve wholeheartedly as though you're serving the Lord, not just your boss. In other words, in the workplace, Don't just do your job when the boss is watching. Don't just do your job so you can get paid. Do your job as unto the Lord. Do it with the best of your ability. Do it with your whole heart. Do well. Those kind of people tend to rise to the top, by the way, because there are not a whole lot of them. But be that kind of person. Then it says to employers and uh, so forth. Treat your slaves or employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, there's no favoritism with him. He's not—he's not impressed by bosses. He's not impressed by big companies, the presidents of big companies. They don't, that doesn't—that doesn't impress God. He doesn't say, "Oh no, someday they'll all stand before him and they will bow in awe." God shows no favoritism. He loves people, but uh, powerful people aren't. To be something that God's going to be in awe of. It's reverse. In the workplace, there are tensions. I'm old. I worked a long time in many various places. There's tensions in the workplace. There's politics in the workplace. There's difficulty. There's people who are just sometimes very raw, very lost, and they have strong problems. And they can make life difficult. Live your Live your work life as unto the Lord. And as much as possible, the Bible says, as much as possible, live in peace with all people. I love it that it says as much as possible because sometimes it's not possible. Somebody just doesn't want to live in peace with you. But make sure you're not the issue. If that's the way it is, ultimately that's the way it is. The fifth area of relationship I'd point to is this one, relationships with friends outside the church. Uh, these, these principles hold true in all cl- all cases. First of all, if you have friends outside the church who don't know the Lord, it should be your concern to try to share the gospel with them. The first way to do that, there's two really important principles I believe here in people outside the church. Number one, you've got to live a life that commends Christ to them. You're not going to be perfect. They should know you're a believer. They'll see you're not perfect, but they'll also see your heart. They'll see what you're really like and what you're all away about. So that as you um, work alongside them or interact en- with them, they'll begin to know who you really are. Genuine relationships take time, and that's the second point. People outside the church, friends and others outside the church, aren't just targets that you're shooting for. They're people. God loves them. They're made in the image of God. Have genuine relationships with them. Get to know them over a long period of time. Know what they like. Know what you like. If you develop genuine relationships, treat them with real respect, real dignity. Over time, you'll probably have a chance to share the gospel with them. Whether they respond is up to them and the work of the Holy Spirit. But you'll get the opportunity then, not when you jam it down other throats. And then. The final area is that of relationship with others, people you don't even know. And simply, it's the same kind of situation. Be loving and kind. Represent Christ. Don't be judgmental and harsh. Don't be quick to criticize. Don't look down on other people. Treat them as even people you think are really, really off base. They're lost. Remember they're lost. Jesus has compassion on the lost. Treat them right. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to. Commend what they're doing, but treat them like they ought to be treated. After all, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, He came into the way and gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So we shouldn't be about condemning either. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because he's not believed don't be condemning in your attitude be open be kind be gentle that's God's attitude and disposition to all people everywhere because they're all made in his image here's a few closing applications relationships get broken or strained for a number of reasons most often it's because of an offense or perceived offense on the part of one person or other persons, an offense or perceived offense. So number one, do your best not to give offense. Number two, choose not to take offense. Do you realize you can choose that? You can choose not to be offended. Too often people are easily offended they just assume the other person deliberately snubbed them or deliberately did something. And I would suggest to you oftentimes that's not true. The person's preoccupied. They were right in front of you, but their mind was elsewhere. They weren't snubbing you. They had something on a hurt mind. So you can choose not to be offended. That would save a lot of time and heartache in relationships. Apply the principles in Matthew chapter 18. If you don't know that chapter, read it. In the church, it says it. If someone wrongs you, go to them, go to them. And in church leadership, if it's a sinful thing, you start, you go to them, and then you go with another, and then you ultimately go to the church. Read those principles. You can repair relationships, and I'll tell you how in just a minute. that's this. Learn how to apologize properly. When you realize someone is offended by something you've done or they perceive that you've done. Bill Gothard taught this in his seminars that I was in way back in the 1970s. In some ways, he's lost some credibility among some, but he, this principle he taught, I learned back then, and I believe he was right on target with it. I wanna share it with you. If you know there's a fence with, an offense between you and another person, here's the best way to handle it. Think about deeply what is my part of that? You may perceive, maybe you'll perceive it's all that person's fault. But maybe you say, well, it's 9% their fault, maybe 10% my fault. Well, let's say that's the case. Think hard about your 10%. Own up to it. Go to the other person and ask forgiveness for your 10%. And don't bring up their, their 90%. Just say, look, I was wrong about this, this thing, and apologize. Then ask for their answer. Say, I'm sorry I did that. I really didn't mean to hurt you. Will you forgive me? And then wait for them to answer. Wait for them to say, I will, I do. You would be surprised how often that works. Frequently, not always, not always, but frequently, the other person will own up to their end of that and ask for your forgiveness. Again, not always, and you shouldn't do it only because of that, but that often happens and relationships can be repaired. Learning how to apologize well is an important life skill. Finally, let's all try to live up to the admonitions of 1 Corinthians 13, which is why I asked for this passage to be read. It's all about how do you love one another. Let me just reread the few that's in the middle of that chapter on love. Be loving. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Mike VanderWalker's is going to give our benediction.